right, we are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a Chicago Cubs podcast. Full crew here tonight. Good to see you, Jeremy and Randall. Honestly, it feels like it's been about a month since we've done this. So much has happened in Major League Baseball. So much has not happened, too, and we want to talk about all of that here tonight. In terms of what hasn't happened, we thought Ian Hatt, Wilson Contreras would be gone they're still Cubs, and they're making some uh, interesting scenes out there on the field, including last night in the Field of Dreams game. We got some prospect talk to get to as well, some odds and ends across Major League Baseball, but really a full slate here. We have not had a chance to talk since the trade deadline, and that's certainly something else that we want to dive into here tonight. Um, let's start, though, with the obvious, right? I can't go on without getting into this at all. Harry Carey, hologram Harry. How do we feel about it? I was kind of disturbed, Jeremy, last aghast. night. How do you feel? Aghast and agape. I mean, it was it was everything kind of like you know you we you first heard about it the day before. I, I uh, you know I think uh, Tim Burke on uh, Twitter put out a thing being like he heard about you know possible of a hologram Harry, and then uh, Fox is like tweeting it out the special whatever and it was it was pretty it was pretty terrible in terms of what we saw on the field but i actually kind of you know i enjoyed like seeing like you know something terrible it was it was fun and it was funny and and it was awful it was a terrible hologram of it but uh you know what i bet harry would have enjoyed it so they should have <laughs> had him drunk up there with a bud in one hand but uh it was pretty it was pretty god awful but uh, it made me laugh and uh, i had a smile on my face so just, just an incredibly incredibly poor taste Poor taste. Poor taste. Poor yeah. taste. I, see, I disagree with you there. Although, let me clarify. I thought it was poor execution. Definitely. Maybe that led to it being in poor taste because it was so badly done that it was like, boy, if you're going to do this, you want to get it right. Maybe that's what you're getting at, Randall. All, all, drains, all, drains, all drains lead to the ocean. I just thought yeah. it was unnecessary, poorly executed, in poor taste. The notion of trying to, I don't know, re revive or I guess represent somebody who's been gone that way using a hologram and none of it landed for me. None of it was necessary to me, but I guess that just kind of summarizes the state of MLB media uh, at this point in time. But the badness of it kind of made it like the fun, like if it was perfect, you'd be like, all right, that was kind of interesting. But the badness of it made it like the talking point and the, the kind of like the humorous, it was like, okay, that's terrible. It was almost like made it more endearing. See, yeah, I, I see what you're getting at there, Jeremy, for sure. And I was just, there was so much hype leading up to it. I mean, all day we were hearing about it. And then once you tuned into that game, you get to like the fourth inning or so. And every five minutes, the broadcast crew's like, hey, coming up, we got a big thing coming for you in the seventh inning. They got that caricature of uh, Harry. I just didn't like, I didn't think it looked like him. I didn't think it, the, the mannerisms, like they had that camera angle from behind. We've seen that view a million times at Wrigley Field. The camera's behind Harry. He's leaning out of the boots, singing to the fans in the ballpark. And I was looking at going, that doesn't look like him. That's not the Harry that I remember. Uh, the other thing that irritated me, and Jeremy, you were locked into this as well, the same rendition of the seventh inning stretch that they play at Wrigley Field, Fox picked up as well. And we've been complaining about this for two years on this podcast. We love Harry on the video board. We just want them to use more than one performance of the song. And little things like if it's a day game, have the video clip be from a day game. If it's a night game, you've got, you know, 15 years plus of Harry Carey singing that song. Go pick one. Fox uses the exact same version that they play at Wrigley. So I thought that was a little bit uh, like, like poor effort. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. And I think that leads to my ultimate point of the execution just wasn't there. So a lot of hype. It kind of put me off, but cool to see Harry on TV. 
yeah, you know, it was, I mean, it's better, I guess, I don't know. It was, it was, it was terrible. As you said, like from behind, it looked like Larry David as George Steinbrenner in, 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 in Seinfeld. It was like so bad. And I agree with you about the rendition that they use. It's like, I don't understand why there's only one rendition. Is it like a licensing thing that like, there's only one rendition of a Harry Carey scene? I'm wondering if around? maybe it is an estate thing. I'm wondering if maybe I, he, no, he has, no, 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 you don't think it's, so. Okay, no, it's oh, okay. it's lack of quality control is yeah, what I, it well, is. I agree with that. The Cubs, but, the Chicago Cubs, have access to everything that WGN had. That you know, it's like I don't think there's a single person in Wrigley Field who's having the conversation that we've had for two years on this podcast about it, and that kind of bothers me because there needs to be somebody in that ballpark going, you know what? We like Harry, but why can't we show more than one performance? And it's not like Harry was only one year with the team. Like, you don't just need Harry from a given year. You can have 80s Harry one day. You can have late 90s Harry another day. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he he's more than just a drunk guy in the booth with big glasses calling the game, which we sort of think about from the very end of his career. He's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, and the Cubs could do a better job, I think, sharing that story as well. I, I agree with you 100%. We've talked about on the podcast. It's it's ridiculous that every single time, you know, you hear never sing uh, better than you have in your life or whatever. I, I'm not, not sure the exact terms, something along those lines. And it's just kind of like, how can, how is this the only one? Every time it's the same Harry yeah. rendition. When I heard that over the air on Fox yesterday, I was like, what, how is it the same one? Um, but it's it still, you know, it was kind of funny too, because you know, that's a Reds home game. They're playing Harry Carey at the bottom yeah. of the seventh, heading to the you know, good thing he didn't say, uh, you know, let's get some runs or whatever. But uh, it, it just was, it was a thing, you know, Fox is trying to do something. It was, it was, it was just bad. But to me, it was like, it was kind of like funny that they took an attempt and a stab at that. And I don't know, I, I kind of feel like Harry would have enjoyed it had he known about it. Yeah. My my takeaway is that Fox should simply never try and do something. No, that, that's no, my no. take. That's my takeaway. <laughs> I I I'm kind of with you, Jeremy, in that it. A lot of these national broadcasts are really difficult to watch, and it's primarily because of the broadcasting. Visually, a lot of the games look nice. You know, Fox I think does deserve a fair amount of criticism because things don't always land, but at least they are trying stuff. And even the concept of this game, the fact that Major League Baseball and a broadcast partner came together and said, you know what, let's do something in August before NFL and college football takes over the sports landscape for the rest of the year. Let's get the nation's attention. Last year's game with the White Sox and the Yankees was an incredible event. It drew very good ratings and it had a classic ending. I know you don't want to hear that, Randall, with the Sox having the walk off, but it was a classic ending to that ball game. I like the fact that here you've got two terrible teams. The lineups are full of like awful players for the most nobodies, part. Nobodies, complete and nobodies. Yet Fox is trying to do some things here. Like it's kind of a cheesy broadcast, but Field of Dreams is kind of a cheesy movie. And I say that as a fan of it. I like Field of Dreams. It's one of my favorite baseball movies, but the whole concept of it is kind of ridiculous. Seeing Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. walk out of the corn and say to each other, hey, uh, you want to have a catch? And then they do it. Is that cheesy? Yes. Was I smiling watching the Griffies out there? Hell yeah. Going, it's awesome to see these guys and these legends or ambassadors of the game getting that spotlight. And, and otherwise, a Cubs-Reds game on a Thursday night in August, most people wouldn't give a damn about it. To be clear, I'm not 
I'm not denigrating the, the notion of the game. I agree with you. The game is cheesy and uh, I think a little bit sac saccharine, but I do think it was an entertaining watching experience at the very least. The notion of it, the concept of it, two teams playing on a neutral site that I don't know if you call it a historical site, but at least it has something sure. different to it. I have no issue with that. I, I enjoyed the visuals. I enjoyed the aesthetics of it. it. It Like anything, the national broadcast element of it is what made most of the difficulties stand out and I think made the difficulties brighter. I have no issue with the notion of the game. We've talked about it before that it's probably something MLB is going to look into doing just the way that the NHL turned their outdoor once a year New Year's Day game into a whole series of outdoor games. Jeremy, what, four or five of them per season at one point? Yeah, there was there was a good amount. <laughs> yeah, just the way that the NHL saw that there was money and good attention in that. And they, I think, start, started to milk that for all it was worth. I think MLB will probably go that route. They'll have no trouble finding historical ballparks in the United States, places that hosted Negro League games, places, mm -hmm. that, places that hosted uh, like pre-modern MLB games. They'll have no trouble finding these sites and putting the money into them to get them up to MLB standards for one night. I, again, I have no, no, I have no issue with the notion of the game. I enjoyed it. I did, and I know I'm a, a. It can get lost in my cynicism and my sarcasm and my snark sometimes, but I did. I enjoyed the concept of the game. What difficulties I had with it were if they weren't created outright by the national broadcast, they were certainly heightened by the national broadcast. I mean, it's definitely schlocky, and and I mean, movie. That's exactly what it is. It's schlocky, and 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 it's a little ridiculous sometimes. I found myself rolling my eyes with certain things. I think. Like maybe it was Ferg, you said something or something where they were talking about, you know, coming to the history of this place and all I like think about it, there is right. no history. There's no history. Yeah. They played one baseball game there last year and the rest is a movie set from 1989. It's not like this is like where baseball was founded or something like there's been so many. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But, uh, you know, it's fun. It's cool. It shows off, you know, the Iowa, those Cubs first win in, in, in the state of Iowa in over 140 years. That's pretty since 1875 yeah. when they beat the, the Keokuk Westerns. Um, so, I wonder what uh, the national broadcasts were like then. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, it's cool to go play a game in Iowa. Unfortunately, they're not going to be back there next year because they're expanding it, which I actually don't like the idea of that because uh, they're making Little League Stadium and 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 hotels. And it's going to turn like, you know, basically the same as every other venue place in the Midwest, like just 100. And like the special thing of Field of Dreams, Dyersville, is that it's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there except for the baseball field. It's cornfield. So, like, to put all these things there, I think that's kind of kind of lame. But uh, I enjoy. I enjoyed it last year. I enjoyed it this year. I thought it was a fun game. We didn't get the offensive performance we got last year, which was crazy. Um, but uh, I thought, you know, it, it was a, it's it's fun to watch. It's cool to see Major League Baseball on network TV in the middle of the week because you never see yeah. that anymore. It's all everything's like you know about chasing the dollar going on streaming, and it's nice to see Fox network actually promote something and just to give our listeners some context when jeremy says it's in the middle of nowhere he's not exaggerating uh the teams don't even stay overnight in iowa they fly in and they fly out on the same day the teams flew in yesterday morning they bust from uh, i assume maybe des moines airport oh. jeremy you'd probably know I would think maybe, des moines is three I would, hours i would from... think dubuque but okay dubuque, dubuque. Really big. they they small. They, they bust from whatever, there. whatever airport in Iowa they landed in. They bust there to the site. They got to explore it for the afternoon, do the photo ops, do the media work um, and do some other things. Rowan Wick on a tractor, players walking through the cornfields, taking pictures. Uh, Marcus Stroman apparently has a very, very nice camera 
a, a photographic a photographer expert said that's about as nice as a camera as money can buy. So Marcus Stroman knows how to spend that free agent money. Uh, so the players got to enjoy the site for the afternoon. They play the game and then they they fly out that same night, which is the reason for this off day uh, on the Friday as we record this is because they fly in and fly out on the same day. So there, there's no hotel infrastructure there. I don't know how big Dyersville is population wise, but I can't imagine oh. there's a ton else there other than this Field of Dreams site. Yeah, they could. I mean, they could also fly into Moline. I don't know that that's, that's not too far away, and that's a bigger airport. But yeah. I don't really know where they fly into. That's a good question. But well, uh, I caught, go for it. I just caught Pat going. Hey, we're not that far from Des Moines, and I'm like, ah, Pat, you're three hours away from Des Moines. You're completely opposite parts of Iowa. So uh, I guess it's all relative. But it, I think that fans are surprised maybe at the location of that site. Um, but I would say, and Jeremy, you sort of touched on this a minute ago. The actual piece of land may not be historic, but Major League Baseball games in Iowa is kind of a romantic thing. And a lot of the players talked about it, harkened them back to travel ball. Like when they were past the the T-ball, the Little League days, even in around the time of high school ball, where they're playing for travel teams. And if you're a guy like Ian Happ, you're coming from Pittsburgh, you're driving across the Midwest to places like Indiana or Iowa or Kansas or Illinois or whatever, Ohio, to play in these games out in the middle of sort of nowhere. At least it feels that way maybe when you're 10, 11, 12 years old. So I think that there's a tie-in to that. And then Iowa, of course, has an incredible history of minor league baseball up and down the river and further into the state. And many of those players, including guys on this Cubs team, spent a lot of time in Des Moines playing for the Cubs. So I think all of that is very cool. And the more the better. I mean, at some point, it's going to become sort of a tired idea. But until we get to that point, they're going to get a chance to do these games in places like the Dominican Republic, other places across the world. And they're going to be spectacles that one will make the sport a lot of money and two, hopefully will generate some interest in an otherwise sort of irrelevant regular season game. Just this week, MLB said that they are officially rescheduling the canceled London series games between the Cubs and Cardinals and will they intend to play them uh, next next year, 2023, global global conditions permitting. So and that's something else we've talked about that the MLB intends to stage games internationally over the next five years or so. So, you know, these neutral site games. Uh, with the pandemic, they kind of fell out of, they, they fell off the radar, but as travel starts to open up safely again, you're going to see MLB pushing this uh, a great deal, whether it's neutral site games in the United States or staging them internationally. Yeah. So whether we like them or not, the spectacle of them is here to stay for a while. I like the ideas of what you can do internationally and we talked about this i think it was this past spring training maybe it was last and we talked about the dominican we talked about you know more sites in mexico or south america that they could be playing in but i saw a sort of a clickbait type story earlier in the week about like what about a place like egypt out near the pyramids if you could pull that off wouldn't that be really kind of incredible to see a major league baseball game or any other sort of historic site across Europe, maybe outside of like a giant castle in England or wherever. There's lots of really cool visuals, places that they've held concerts, for example, in the last 20, 30 years that you could potentially put a big league ball game in on. That's exciting. And I think that that would be fun to see baseball. Let's see what baseball looks like in Africa. Let's see what baseball looks like in parts of Eastern Europe. Could be very neat. Definitely. I mean, I mean, we've, we have seen... Major League Baseball in the past go worldwide, go global. I mean, we've seen games in Japan, seen games in Australia. 
um, Mexico in the past, as, as we've mentioned. So, yeah, I, I think that is an interesting thing. And it, it's cool. It's interesting that the Cubs next year are, are going to be back in London uh, for the makeup games of the 2020, as Randall mentioned. And one thing I would note, I, I think that, you know, somehow Tom Ricketts made out pretty well. The fact that the Cubs aren't losing any home games in these situations. Yeah. Cardinals are hosting in London. The Reds hosted last night. So <laughs> the Cubs are, you know, a marquee team and they're not losing any home games. So uh, I guess good for the Cubs. But uh, yeah, there's some there's some interesting places that they definitely can go, and and we we've seen in the past these neutral site games, like you know they used to do the little league games in Williamsport. Yep. They had uh, they went to Fort Bragg one year, uh, that was kind of interesting and cool, where they played uh, a major league baseball game, uh, basically in a pop up stadium, kind of like almost how Dyersville is. Um, so yeah, I mean the one off, I just like the idea of like there being kind of a a one. Like we never see any, as I mentioned before, there's really nothing like any marquee event that's like on network TV. Everything's, you know, for streaming or whatever. And I think the idea of Fox, like having a game where they were promoting all day um, on their various networks, I, I think that I think it was good for baseball and, and it pulled pretty good ratings. It didn't pull the same ratings as last year. Of course, last year was the first year ever. The Yankees, Red Sox, or excuse me, White Sox, much better teams, better draw, Yankees. But uh, it still pulled solid ratings. And it was the best watch game of the season so far. So yeah. um, I, I liked, uh, I think it was, it was a good, a good uh, move by major league baseball. Agreed. And it was fun. And you know what else was fun? Cubs played pretty good baseball. So they struck early a couple of runs with two outs in the first inning. They jumped ahead three, nothing drew smiley, terrific on the mound, nine strikeouts over five shutout innings. And Rowan wick comes in and, and closes things out. That's something I wanted to ask you both about. We've got a couple weeks here now of Rowan wick Cubs closer. What do we think about Rowan wick wrapping up these ball games? He's done it before. He's done it with success. We I talk all the time about how relievers are volatile. They can be volatile season to season, month to month, even week to week. Rowan Wick had a, a pretty rough stretch earlier this season, but he's cleaned it up a, a great deal in the last month or so. He's done it before. He has what you need to be a good closer, which is a good mid-90s fastball. And then the curveball is a secondary pitch. We've seen him do it. We've seen him do it well, and it's an audition for next season. There, there certainly isn't a, a set closer for next season. Uh, it probably would have been Hoyer's job to win had he not been, needed the Tommy John surgery. I'm all for it. That's what you need to use these last uh, six weeks of the season for is see who you have for next season, and letting Rowan Wick be your designated closer is uh, – I have no issue with it. He, he, he's he been pitching pretty well as of late. Uh, you know, he was struggling for a long time there, and – and it didn't look like things were going well. He, he's kind of in the past kind of been, you know, as Randall mentioned, up and down a little bit. Uh, I, I He's pitched well, but I, it's always kind of felt like, you know, maybe he's getting away with a little bit, uh, a little bit. So uh, it's nice to see him pitching well. I'm still a little skeptical of him, you know, maybe being a high leverage arm in the late innings. But, uh, hey, they had an opportunity, as Randall said, to put people in positions now and, you know, put all of the arms back there every day. Different guy, you know, in my opinion. At this point, just see how guys perform in high leverage situations. I mean, the final two months, might as well get as many guys in there as possible and see what they're doing. So, yeah, Rowan Wick, he pitched pretty well, and he he got out of that inning. And, and you know, another guy I thought has been pitching pretty well has been Michael Rucker as of late. Like, he was pretty terrible. Even Mike, Mark Lair Jr., there's a couple guys, like, that are really coming coming on lately that as for in the, out of the bullpen. So it's nice to see that. 
and another guy that I think deserves some recognition too is Brandon Hughes. Oh, well, he's he, uh, yeah, former Spartan, uh, our, our buddy Kern's guy there. Anytime he pitches well for the Cubs, we get a text the next day about Brandon Hughes, but coming over from the left side, it's just so fun. And, and it gives me a lot of confidence for the Cubs moving forward that this front office seems to have a knack of finding these pitchers, putting them in this pitch infrastructure the Cubs have, and churning out solid relievers. It's going to be very critical once the team gets competitive again to be able to piece together a bullpen sort of on the cheap, or at least efficiently, is maybe what I'm trying to say. And it looks like they got a good one with Hughes as well. Yeah, we've seen this kind of for two straight years now where the Cubs have done a very solid job of building their bullpens. Like they've taken, you know, some spare parts from other teams. They've taken guys that you thought, okay, maybe they're past their prime, like David Robertson, uh, Michael Givens, and, you know, some other comers that came out of nowhere. Brandon Hughes, a converted uh, outfielder, uh, Scott Efros was probably going to be cut. And then he dropped his, you know, he was, uh, took a suggestion to drop his, his uh, arm slot and he, he's pitching pretty well. And they got a solid prospect for him. So I, it's given me a lot of confidence the fact that the Cubs, there's something there that they can kind of build these bullpens. And it one thing I will say is like the Cubs have had a ton of strikeouts and they're getting arms in there. They're throwing hard. Like back in the day, the end of the, you know, our, the Theo era, like we we're seeing a Steve Ciszek, all these type of guys are barely touching 90 out of the bullpen, not striking anybody out. And that has not been the way that these Jed Hoyer bullpens have been the last two years. We're, the Cubs are towards the top in the league in strikeouts, and that's something I've wanted to see for a long time. And it's nice to finally see that paying off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, put this in an interesting spot here with about a month and a half or so to go here in the regular season. This is not going to be a playoff-bound Cubs team. We've known that for a long time. But there's a lot to watch over the next six weeks. And something that didn't happen makes it a little more interesting as we get ready to go in to the upcoming offseason. Uh, that's what happened at the trade deadline. So the Cubs did make a number of moves, primarily moving veteran bullpen arms and one rookie bullpen arm. But a couple of key offensive guys stayed, guys that we thought were going to be gone, Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras, how do we feel about this, right? A couple of weeks now since we've come out from the trade deadline, the surprise maybe has worn off. And now here we see it's the middle of August and Wilson Contreras is still the Cubs catcher. Well, as a fan, you know, obviously I like seeing Wilson Contreras play for the Cubs. I was at the game on Friday. I was at the game on Tuesday where we thought, you know, he was going the whole emotional thing. Then I was at the game on Friday. He was back there his first time back at Wrigley and he hit the game winning homer in the eighth. So it was like, yeah. okay, he's back there. I mean, I, you know, I thought for the best of the club, trading him made the most sense. But, you know, if the offers weren't there, and I think Juan Soto slowed the whole thing down. Like, I think there's sure. so much going on there. Um, if the offers weren't there, you know, they are going to get draft pick compensation. So it's not gonna like they're going to get nothing for him if he walks away, um, which is still pretty valuable. So I, I guess it makes sense. That's a calculation Jed has to make. And, you know, just thinking about it, you know, one of the reasons why I was kind of pro-trading him was I was thinking about, you know, him being a catcher, him aging. He's not really a great defense catcher anyways, which is probably one of the reasons maybe teams weren't as interested in him. But, uh, you know, he's still a solid bat. So if you want to sign him and send him, there might be an opportunity for him to be a DH, you know, now, or a first baseman kind of primarily coming off the, you know, so uh, being a solid bat. So I think maybe there is a way you can work him into the plans in the future for this Cubs team. I was as shocked as anybody to not see Wilson traded as the clock yeah. struck the trade deadline on that Tuesday. I was positive that we were all going to see that the, the Rosenthal or the passing notification 
uh, any, any at any second the, the Cubs have traded Wilson Contreras to whomever. But Jed said it in his media availability that day that teams were not as aggressive as he would have liked, and they just did not get a return offered for Wilson that made sense to trade him. And I'm I'm okay with that. I, I really am because I think you can parlay that now if you are so inclined on the part of Jed Hoyer I think you could parlay that into signing Wilson to an extension and Jeremy touched on it you would have been very very gun shy about that prior to this season but you have the universal DH now whatever you think Wilson lacks as a catcher you can put him in that DH spot and you can still keep him on the roster to mentor a, a Miguel Amaya or whatever other catchers you have coming up or it's not like you have a, a first base prospect blue chip waiting in the wings moving to first base and and do what else you want at the catcher position. So I think there are more avenues now to potentially keeping Wilson on this team going forward than there were two weeks ago. And I'm all for that. I'm happy for Wilson. We know what an emotional guy he is. He said what a weight it was off his shoulders yeah. to, to not be traded and to be able to stay with the Cubs at least until the rest of the season. I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I really am. I know from a baseball standpoint, maybe the Cubs would have been better off putting another two or three decent prospects in the system. From a, a fan standpoint, I'm okay with it. And I think it raises the chances of him staying maybe from you know, from maybe it's only from 2% to 10%, but it still raises those chances and it still leaves room for that dialogue. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I really am. Oh, I, one thing I will say, I, I was happy that Wilson got the opportunity to play last night in the field of dreams game. Absolutely. You know, thinking about, it, I was thinking about Brian Grizzo Baez. I was wondering if like, are these guys watching them being like, you know, I want to be out there, but it was nice to see Wilson, even if he rolled his ankle and somehow managed to stay in the game. Uh, I thought it was cool that Wilson was there to play in the game. Yeah, not not cool of the corn monster to, to reach out and grab him as he was rounding second there. But yeah, and every media availability Wilson has had, every time he's gone in front of a camera or a microphone since the trade downline, you can see he's happy. You can see how relieved he is. You can see he's just happy to put off the emotions of leaving the Cubs, even if he's only putting it off for another two or three months. And you could especially see it yesterday where he gets to walk around the cornfield and he gets to be with his teammates at this this great site. He's happy. And I don't know that, you know, I'm not big on intangibles. I laugh every time somebody mentions the intangibles of a ball player. But I don't think you can quantify what it means for a ball player to be happy like that. Yeah. And we've talked about how maybe Wilson's emotion and his connection is maybe makes him the exception to the rule where he accepts uh, an extension and he signs an extension with the Cubs. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy for Wilson. I, I really am. I'm happy that he's happy. That's the most important mm -hmm. thing. It must be a huge relief. He's a, he's indicated that, right? But it makes a lot of sense too. Uh, baseball players are creatures of habit and not knowing for months where you're going to be come August. And uh, yes, he would work out all the details of where he's living and all that stuff, but it's still stressful for you and your family. Now, at least he knows, you know, for the rest of the year, he's going to be in Chicago. Uh, Randall, what do you got? We've all seen Moneyball. You you call the you, you call the acquiring general manager. He takes care of it for you. We've all seen Moneyball. It's that easy. Yeah. Tell him, Wash. It, uh, it, it's got to be nice, though, for him to at least have some certainty for the next two months. However, I'm still skeptical that he's in the long-term plans, the Chicago Cubs. This absolutely changes the dynamic, but I would still be surprised if he ends up getting extended and if that makes sense for the Cubs and whatever they envision this next window being. My understanding is if the Cubs do offer that qualifying offer, like you were saying, Jeremy, and he signs a large contract elsewhere, it would be about... I'm ballparking this about an 80th pick in the draft. Yeah, it'd be about, about, it would be a comp B pick. It'd be about kind of in between the second and third round, probably closer to the third round pick. 
So I, what I would be curious, and we'll never get this from Jed because he, you know, part of his job is PR as well, is just what that internal conversation was like with the Cubs earnestly of what was being offered for Wilson and how does that compare and contrast with maybe an 80th overall pick in the draft? So, yeah. Because, you know, you would think, oh, you're getting maybe a 35 overall pick. That's a different dynamic than something in the 80s, but there's a lot of variables here. Something else that adds a wrinkle to all of this, in the last week, the Cubs PR machine has been putting out stories from the team owner to team executives to Ken Rosenthal coming on Marquee Sports Network, basically planting the seeds, hey, we're serious about spending money this offseason. And if that is true, well, Maybe the timeline is sped up a little bit, and then maybe Wilson does fit into it. So I'm just so intrigued by all the variables here, and I'm encouraged that multiple members of top executives here are saying, look, we're going to spend money this winter because the Cubs need to spend money this winter. Who, who doesn't love the team PR machine? I love nothing more than Tom Ricketts getting on the microphone and saying, yeah, we're going to have the resources to spend. To be clear, um, I'd prefer he say that versus say the opposite, saying, no, we're going to sit out free agency uh, again this offseason. Go out there and prove it to us, Tom. Go out there, open the checkbook, get out the credit card. Uh, you know, if somebody wants a nice stack of hundreds and be paid that way, make it rain. Do whatever you need to do. Show us, Tom. And to go back to what uh, you were saying about the, you know, I, I guarantee you, I mean, I know for a fact. Um, even if I don't, I haven't actually seen it, uh, that the, the Cubs have those calculations, you know, the, the, of what each draft pick is worth and the value of the players that they, they're being fit. So it could just be a simple, like these guys that were being offered, it's just the value of the draft pick we think is higher, or it's not worth it to move Wilson. Just if it's, if we don't get like a significant increase there. So I don't know. I mean, I could, they definitely have those numbers around that they've, they've crunched themselves. And so, I mean, there's publicly available ones that other people have crunched. They might be a year or two old, but they're still, they're out there. So there's no way that the Jed Hoyer front office doesn't have access to their own proprietary numbers of who everything is. So, you know, I believe them. I believe they did not think that the offers were there to move them. Cause I think if they got a prospect that they really would have liked, there's no way they wouldn't have moved it. Yeah. And we thought the same thing about Ian Happ. And of course, the Cubs have more control over Ian Happ, at least one more season, and he's going to be back in the mix. In fact, Jed in a press conference very seriously said, we like our corner outfield going into next year with Ian Happ and left and Suzuki and right. We feel very good about those mix of players. And they're both putting together nice seasons right now for this bad Cubs team. Um, one other thing on, on that front that I wanted to touch on as well So I I think there's no question, Jeremy, the point that you just made that the Soto blockbuster trade messed up a lot of things. And we had already talked a couple of weeks ago about the draft being so late. It was sort of a messed up trade cycle in general. The question I have for you both, though, is what role, if any, do you think playoff expansion played in either teams being less aggressive or feeling like, you know what, we probably have enough here to at least secure a wild card spot. So we're not going to put in that extra chip for a guy like Ian Happer, Wilson Contreras. I think that played a huge role in a team like the Mets, not being aggressive and making a, a huge move or maybe two slightly bigger moves. As it was, all they brought in were Darren Ruff and Michael Givens. And I think, as you said, the expanded Dan playoffs. Vogelbach, our boy. Oh, of course. I forgot Dan Vogelbach because it wasn't a deadline deal. But uh 
Yeah, they, they brought in Dan Vogelbach. He seems to be enjoying himself in New York, large, rowdy individual. But they, they didn't really make a splash at the deadline. And that was a team that certainly has the prospects to make a splash. And they have a uh, maybe maybe a, an expectation that they would have made a splash. And they chose not to. And it seems like uh, there was the report floating that after watching PCA just go off with the Cubs now in their minor league system for only a half season of Javi, that they're a little gun shy about trading with the mm -hmm. Cubs and including a top prospect. And I think that absolutely factored in the Mets and the Braves are going to be in a dogfight for that division down the stretch. And I think the Mets determined, look, even if we don't make a splash, we're still going to end up in a, a decent wildcard position. And I think that made them hesitant to, to, get rid of a, a decent prospect in exchange for a player who might only be there for the rest of the season. So to answer your question, Ronan, I think the expanded playoffs played a big role in teams not really wanting to go big if they felt like they could get away without doing that. I think that's a good question. I, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, to be honest. I think there were just a lot of kind of events that kind of just came together to like, like Juan Soto just being out there just kind of held up the market a lot. Yeah. And um, I think there were questions about, Wilson, you know, Wilson's never been a great defensive catcher. And I think there were questions about, you know, him being a catcher and then integrating him into a team mid season. Um, and, it, you know, he's a solid bat, but he's not like an amazing bat. And I think, I think had the, had another team acquired Soto other, I think the Padres would have been really aggressive and maybe you could have seen a move there with, with, uh, um, you know, Hap and, and, and Contreras. I, I like the, the, the Dodgers, they didn't really need Soto. They didn't really need to acquire. They were in on him just because I think Juan Soto is just a, such a special player that it makes sense to be in on it. But uh, I don't know. I think that – and another thing is I think Jed I think Jed really does have a high, you know, asking price. Like, mm -hmm. Jed, I don't think he's going to move off. I think he he wants prospects. And you whether or not, you know, maybe a collection of prospects, maybe a collection of young prospects, something. he wants to get his value any way he can. So he's – He's not going to just sell a guy, I think. So I, I guess, yeah, the extra playoffs, I'm not sure. I mean, I, we don't know. All the teams kind of – every team kind of made themselves better except for maybe the Cardinals and, you know, I mean, the White Sox and even the Mets. They they did small moves, but uh, most teams kind of made themselves better. So I, I don't know. I just I, – I don't know what it meant. You, you would think it would be good for sellers since there's more buyers with more playoff teams. It would be better for the sellers. But I honestly – I, I don't really know how to answer that question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think it's a good question, though. I think it's something to look into. And I think it's something to, um, you know, to see for the future. Because it is. It's the first year we ever had the six uh, teams in each each league. And I think I think there's just a weird confluence of it. The late draft, just all these things that kind of made for kind of a lackluster um, trade deadline outside of the Soto shocker. Yeah. I, and I'm curious, too, if this also accelerates the Cubs plans here because it has felt like up to this point we were thinking next year isn't going to be a very good team either and then maybe 2024 we start to see the team coming together with a real thought that 2025 and on that's when it's on that's when you're really in your championship window but it just feels like okay ian's still around wilson's around for at least to kick off maybe some negotiations you've got the top front office folks saying look we're going to spend a lot of money and more opportunities to win Plus, maybe that that just tanking and selling guys 
everybody who isn't trying to win is sort of doing that. Maybe that market is oversaturated, that the value isn't there today that was there 10 years ago or eight years ago or even six years ago. It's just changed. A lot of teams have caught on to it. So maybe all of that is going to lead to a confluence here of the Cubs really trying to get aggressive to win next year. And that makes the next six weeks really interesting because there are guys in the bullpen that if you're thinking, okay, next year could be a playoff team, it ups the ante for everything. It, it ups the expectation and the um, sense of urgency with results with some of these guys, including pitchers like Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson. And all of that makes it more compelling. Frankly, I'll say this, that all that long-winded response to me to say this, I'm feeling more optimistic about the Cubs being aggressive today than I felt the last time that we recorded this podcast. And I'm starting to get antsy here of, all right, let's get through the rest of this regular season and then let's let it rip in the offseason and see if they can put together a playoff team for next year. And the one thing I would say is they put in, you know, I don't think they're going to be huge rules, but they put in anti-tanking rules in the last CBA. You can only have so many draft picks if you're a certain team. Like the team like the Cubs, that's a revenue uh, paying team that uh, a payee, they're, they're, I think they're only allowed to have like top 10 picks in two successive years and they're going to get one this year. So it's either next year or nothing. And I think we have, we've, we've found some kind of answers. I feel like throughout this season, like there've been players and guys that have kind of improved and like proven themselves yeah. like Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, say what you want about them. I think they're legit major league starters. They might not be aces. They might not be top two guys, but they can be in a rotation. Marcus Stroman has had his struggles, but he's looked pretty fine coming in. I don't know if he's an ace, but you would try to get somebody on top. And I think you go, know, Nico Horner has proven yeah. that he's an MLB capable shortstop, a really good player. Uh, Ian Happ's having a year. Yeah. I, we don't know about Wilson, obviously, so he might be, he'll probably be gone. But like, you've kind of gotten okay. There may be some, some, some place, some piece uh, places filled. Like, we can mark guys on this board and say those guys can be part of the next great uh, or next competitive Cubs team. And the the farm system has improved a ton. Like, there's not really yes. anybody knocking on the door. That's like, okay, this these are the guys we want in our league. But there are, it's one of the most improved farm systems in baseball. There are tons of talent in there. Guys have improved a ton. Uh, we mentioned the bullpen earlier, how that's kind of showing. So I think they're like, it's like, if you look back on it, this has been kind of like a successful year in terms of progress of certain yeah. players and the farm system. And like where we are today compared to where we were on opening day, I would be a lot, I'm a lot more confident in the Cubs future today than I am, you know, a few months ago. And Christopher Morrell, a, yes. a player that I don't think was, slated for considerable big league time. He's come up. He's proven that he can stay. If Even if you're not penciling him in as a starter, and if you're not, that's perfectly fine. You've penciled him as an, as penciled him in as a guy who can potentially start a game for you three or four times a week and still do a lot of other things to help your team. And that's one less position you need to go after in the off season is your kind of top bench guy like that. So like Jeremy said, they've done a lot of, using this season as a proving ground and you've learned a lot of very valuable things about players who can be very useful to you going forward. Yeah. I like what you're both saying there. Organizational progress. I think we could all agree on that right today versus a month ago versus four months ago versus 12 months ago, the organization, including the farm system, the big league team, the coaching staff, members of the front office, it seems to be in a healthier spot. It's a lot of reason for optimism. Let's talk about one more addition, and then we'll talk about a notable subtraction from the Cubs lineup. Uh, this came after the trade deadline. Fran Mill Reyes, who's had two 30 home run seasons in the majors. He's only 26 years old. 
Cubs go out, scoop him up for something like one and a half million dollars, I think is what was owed to him. They've got the opportunity to offer arbitration the next couple of years. So there's some control there. This is, to me, exactly what the Chicago Cubs should be doing here for the final six weeks of this season, right? Go out, scoop up a guy who has had success, has struggled tremendously in the majors, and see if there's anything there that can maybe help the team for next year. Randall, you like this move? Absolutely. We talked multiple times how this team doesn't really have any power right now. Patrick Wisdom is your your team leader in home runs with 20. And we know that he is uh, maybe flawed as a hitter, very streaky as a hitter. Franil Reyes has a track record of hitting for power in the major leagues. As you said, he was owed hardly any money at all this season for the remainder of this season. And you have the option to take him to arbitration, or you could, if he's really not working out, non-tender him if you wanted. This is absolutely the kind of move that the Cubs should have made the kind of move they did make. I can, I can always say I was at Fran Mil Reyes's Cubs debut. I'll, I'll add that to my list of historic things I've seen at Wrigley yeah. field. But I wanted him to Homer Randall so badly. So badly. In that so game. badly. <laughs> I would have renamed it the, the Franley confines, yeah. oh, but geez. yep. You heard me. Um, I'm going to put that on a t-shirt, but no, it, I have, this is a great move. And I was talking just before this move about how I'm kind of done with Frank Schwindel Great story. Seems like a great individual, always smiling. But you got to know when a guy maybe just had a great half season on a bad team and when it's time to move on. Sending Frank Schwindel down to Iowa and giving uh, Reyes his roster spot, it's a great move. There's no risk and there's potentially a good deal of reward to it. So I'm, it's a great move. I'm all for it. Play him as much as you can the rest of the way. See if he can refine that power stroke. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan. I, I, I agree with you guys. I was a fan of Reyes, uh, you know, for a while. I thought he, when the San Diego traded him to Cleveland, I was like, well, Cleveland got a good deal there. I, um, they got him. Yeah. I know they got rid of Bauer, but they got Reyes in that deal. And, uh, and it, you know, the Cubs have, we mentioned it, they have the DH now. So we're not stuck trying to figure out where's Reyes going to play. They could play in the DH. Now he's been terrible this season. I mean, you yeah. have to put that out there, but he has a history uh, of, tra- of, you know, success, uh, a strong track record before the season. I mean, he had an OPS plus of 114. I mean, coming into the – or as of right now, he has an OPS plus 114. was higher before this terrible season. Um, and he's still hitting the ball hard. Like, it just hasn't traveled as far, which I don't know if that's the balls themselves being changed or whatever. It's it's Nothing's really kind of changed for him except for the fact that the ball hasn't traveled as far when he hits it kind of the same, you know, launch angle, kind of the same – uh, strength it just hasn't gone as far this season I don't know what the deal is with that but hopefully you know at Wrigley's you know maybe it'll go out a little bit more so I like it I think as you guys said it's a it's a great pickup three years left of team control I believe or, or yeah. after this season two uh, yes. years and you know cheap like I you know take Reyes I he might not pr- produce that much this year but you know, you know, I I would think you you go into him next with next year. I don't I don't see a reason why you shouldn't um have that off season where you can kind of talk to him, you know, go through spring training, actually get your hands on him, see what's going on there, and then we'll see what's like next year. I, I think it's a I think it's a perfect move and uh I like it and hope you know the Cubs they should always be looking for this, you know, those guys on the waiver wire that like teams some teams are gonna have to get rid of some guys and like Cubs are gonna have a low waiver wire number, so they should be able to pounce on them. Yeah. Uh, as recently as the 2021 season, 30 home runs in 115 games. Prior to that, in 2019, a year that he split time, as you said, Jeremy, in San Diego and Cleveland, 37 home runs in 150 games. And there's just something, too, I think, about he is imposing 
right? When he's down in that batter's box, he is listed at 6'5", 265, something that kind of had my attention the last week. There have not, the only other guy I can think of this year who generated any type of attention in his first batting practice would have been Seiya, right? Suzuki back in spring training, a lot of people wanting to see what he looks like in the batter's box. Reyes at Wrigley Field earlier in the week, it seemed like a lot of media members were like, I'm going to go down and watch this. And when he crushes the ball out of the Waveland, I just am so ready to see it happen in a big league game. It was just kind of neat because I, I can't think of another player on the team this year that had really much interest or energy around something like batting practice. They, they don't call him the Franimal for nothing. As, as you said, a very large human being. And I look forward to his first home run at Wrigley because I think it's going to go a very long way. I think we're due for one over the horizon sign or off the video board where Kirby used to hit him. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that is Fran Mills first home run at Wrigley field. I think that's going to be a, a good home run as home runs go. He feels, he feels bigger than six, five, two, six, yes. <laughs> yeah. I would have put him at like six, eight, 300. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feels yeah. bigger. He'd fit in on a football field. He might yeah, be one of the better bears this year as well, too. It just he looks the part. He looks the, like an OL. Yeah. Uh, but I'm with you totally, Jeremy. This is a great move for the Cubs, and we're all excited about it. And maybe he puts on a show here for the last month and figures into the plans for next year. I, you know, at this point, I'd be surprised, unless he's really, truly awful, I'd be surprised if they don't at least take the flyer, on, the flyer on him going into next year and see if he can contribute to that team. Because you both said it, this team does need some more power, and theoretically it's something he should be able to inject into the lineup. Well, Reyes comes in board. We're all excited about that. The time has also come. Jason Hayward is officially done as a Chicago Cub. He's not going to play at all this season due to an injury. He will, however, continue to be around the team for the next month and a half. He's already been told by Cubs executives he will not be a part of the team for next year. Jed Hoyer framed that. It gives Jason Hayward the entire offseason to talk with other teams and figure out if something will be a good fit for him there. Uh, we've been saying for a long time, guys, it's time for Jason Hayward to go. So fare thee well, Jason Hayward. Mad respect to you as a World Series hero and a man. But guys, good riddance, right? It's time for this to have happened. Yeah, I mean, he he was, there was no purpose for Jason Hayward on this 2022 team. And uh, we've been saying it for a couple months. Um, and it was pretty clear that they're kind of holding him out, whatever the injury was. You know, it's sad that it didn't quite work out, did win the World Series, had a couple okay seasons, um, was all-around great guy, it seemed like, in, in yeah. Chicago. So you, you give your props there. Um, yeah, I, I always liked Jason Hayward, and I'm, I'm you know, it's it's sad that it didn't quite work out. But, uh, I, hey, he gave the speech. He, he did what he had to do for defensively in some other situations where he, he helped out the team and, and to win a World Series. And so Jason Hayward, to me, it's like, yeah, uh, you'll always be a 2016 Cub, and that'll always mean something. Yeah, that's that's the, the long and short of the eulogy for Jason Hayward's Cubs tenure is we'll talk about the leadership. We'll talk about the defense. We'll talk about the famed rain delay speech, which I hope they find some fun way to memorialize at some point. We're not going to talk a whole lot about his work in the batter's box although he did hit a walk-off grand slam with two members of this podcast in attendance so you know that's that's what we'll talk about when we talk about jason hayward in years to come we'll talk about the the individual we'll talk about the leadership we're not going to talk about the bat and we're not going to talk about the uh the the totality of the tenure so much and that's okay it, we were all on board with the signing at the time sometimes signings just don't work out. I would not be surprised if we find out somewhere down the line that he suffered like a wrist injury or something 
early in his Cubs tenure and was just never really the same after that. But, well, uh, you know, it, we, we know that. Okay. So remember he had that sliding catch in San Francisco, like very early on. And he kind of had, he came up with the wrist injury. So there we go. Yeah. And, you know, it, it won't really hit until kind of the end of the season or next spring when Jason Hayward is no longer showing up in Mesa in Cubs blue. And I think we'll, it'll probably set in and I think we'll probably eulogize his Cubs tenure um, a little deeper at that point, but it was time. And I was honestly surprised that Jed sat down with the media and he said, came right out and read it, came right out and said it. He said, Hayward, uh, the injury will keep him off the season for us to this field for the rest of this season. And he will not play for the Cubs again. I was, I had to read that three times to make sure that I was absorbing it properly. So surprising, but not unexpected. They're not, not disappointing. We knew it was coming. Um, So as you said, all the best to Jason Hayward, who, who will catch on some team will take a chance on the leadership and hoping that the, uh, the defense is still there. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you both uh, yes or no question. Jason Hayward has one more, at least one more major league at bat in his career. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Jeremy. I'll say yes. I mean, I, I imagine He's good. I mean, the Cubs will probably what they'll DFA him and at the end of this year or whatever, and, and the Cubs will be paying the majority of his salary. So somebody could sign him for you know major league minimum just to see if there's something there. He's he's still a solid defender. Rayon mentioned the leadership. Um, so yeah, and it, it makes sense the way the Cubs kind of did this just to keep him around, you know. We are all kind of questioned why, like, you know, certain guys are coming off, why haven't they DFA'd? Um, but you know, they will obviously like Jason around for the younger guys. So, you know, you're going to keep in the clubhouse through the rest of the year and it's not going to take away anything. So that's the solid thing. There's zero question in my mind that an individual who is still an okay defender at two outfield positions, one of which is a premium position, who is a, a known individual in the community, in the clubhouse, a known leader, uh, and will not, not cost very much because, of course, the Cubs are responsible for the last year of his contract. There is zero doubt in my mind that some team will pick him up and give him uh, either a bench role or if the team happens to be really bad, they might even start him. But there's zero doubt in my mind that he will have at least one more major league at bat. Well, I'm, I'm going to split the difference a little bit on that with you, Randall. I do think there's going to be a team that is going to give him a shot in spring training, and I do think he's got one more spring training in him. I'm not necessarily certain that he's going to break camp with the team, but if he does, you heard it from me first, 2023 Colorado Rockies, Jason Hayward out there at Coors Field. Uh, I was looking at all the teams going, which, which team would do this? Rockies, possibility for it. Um, but I, I just don't think there's anything there anymore. And uh, you're right, it's not going to be a risk for any big league team. But if he's not able to hit the ball anymore, then there may not be a spot for him in the majors. I will say this, I want to take a couple of seconds here to poo-poo some awful takes that I saw pop up over the last week about Jason Hayward. Um, First one, I saw somebody write worst free agent signing in Chicago Cubs history. And I read that and I went no chance in hell. There's absolutely no chance in hell. Jason Hayward is the worst free agent signing in Chicago Cubs history, right? He helped the Cubs win a world series that immediately negates it. He was not the player we thought he was going to be. It worked out to be a bad contract. Sure. But guys, right? There's no way he's the worst free agent signing in Cubs history. Does, no. does Milton Bradley not exist anymore? Todd Hundley. I Todd Jose Hundley's Guzman. where my head went. Yeah. Edwin Edwin Jackson. <laughs> you no. Know? I, I just think that like the other thing that I wanted to dismiss was, you know, people who Jeff Blauser go on the internet, right? And are so cocky about big league players. Uh, people who basically said, you know, 
thanks for the speech. That's all you had to offer to the Cubs that year. That's not true at all. He was an elite defender still in 2016. And it can't be stated enough that one of the primary reasons the Cubs won the World Series in 2016 is they were an incredible defensive team. The best defensive team any of us have ever seen on the North side and maybe will ever see in our lifetimes. Maybe the Cubs never surpassed that team. It was a big reason why that pitching staff was so good and why they won so many ball games. And Hayward was a big part of that. So the portions of the fan base that want to negate him to, oh, he just gave a speech, that's asinine. And for somebody to be sitting on Twitter or Reddit or wherever and, and saying that with such confidence irritates me to the point that I needed to get that off my chest. Well, the, You're not the, take, the take factory never closes. And you, you just got to, it's important to know when to uh, close the doors on the take factory and just kind of let the takes pile up in there. And keep the doors open on the cake factory. That's yeah. a good. One. We like the cake. I mean, it was a incredible take fat. The take factory always no, keep the doors open. I'm saying keep it open on the oh, cake. Yeah, keep it open on the cake factory. Absolutely, but always keep it closed on the take factory. That's the important thing. Uh, it was though an incredible decline. I mean, this was a five-war player in Atlanta and St. Louis, and you're thinking this is a guy who maybe is ready to blossom into a superstar. And obviously that didn't happen, but Randall, you said it best there kind of a boss moment from Jed Hoyer, just coming out, addressing it. And it just felt like a turning of the page here, right? Like finally the front office is, is shutting the door on that. And now we've got another roster spot opened up and we can see who can contribute the rest of this year and into next year. Cubs uh, before that, Randall, just, just to be clear, they have not actually opened up a roster spot that was not actually open because the 40 man roster was not full, even with the addition of Fran Mil Reyes at the time of this move. Hayward is not on the 60 day IL. Technically, they have not opened a right. roster spot with him right. yet because there is 39 out of 40 right now, but I, I they will fill that and they will well. they will use that at some point. I guess my point was more so that when you're looking at who's going to be playing on the team this year and next year, that name is no longer part of the equation. Of course. I, I'm just keeping that our listeners. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm just keeping our listeners informed of the procedural somebody stuff. Somebody else is going to be playing. Right. Yeah. There, there's somebody else that's going to have at bats because – and it's not a matter of when is he coming back or what are they going to do when he comes back. It's This is clear. This is not happening again. And now when we talk about not just this year's team but next year's team, we don't have to mention – Jason Hayward being in the mix, or is he going to be in the mix? And He's we're going to learn a lot more about other players, I think, over the next few weeks, including a guy like David Bodie, who, unless he could figure this thing out soon, I'm not sure he's going to be in the mix for this team moving forward. But we'll get a chance to talk about that. A few other things we want to get to on the show here tonight. Uh, look at some minor league prospects. Big story in Major League Baseball, San Diego Padres and one of the great players in the game suspended. It's a big one. We'll talk about that. But the Cubs are going back to playing baseball starting tomorrow, and it opens up a, a pretty brutal stretch. 20 games for the Cubs over the next 19 days, and it starts with a couple more here on the road. So two this weekend, Randall, in Cincinnati, then three next week in our nation's capital. you got weather for us. What can we expect here Two humid places, I would imagine, over the next week. Well, I always have weather for us, and I am very fortunate to get it from Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather Fame. We'll give those handles at the end of the segment, as we always do. Alexander wrote a whole a whole introduction for the Cincinnati segment, and I honestly cannot wait to read this. I enjoyed reading it when he sent it to me. The series vibe for the two remaining games at Cincinnati are, and I quote, 
a night of summer perfection, the first high school football game of the year vibes, the kind of Midwestern evening you forget all your marching band charts while dressed like a medieval captain carrying a tuba the size of a desk when you get sweat in your eye at the end of the closing number and all of the sudden you are 10 charts behind and there is absolutely no hope of recovery. So you march in place for what feels like, feels like hours, days, and you can't imagine what your crush is thinking in the bleachers, but deep down, you know she is not in the bleachers. She is getting fundraiser nachos and starbursts with an actual mean person who works at the movie theater and smokes half-spent cigarettes off the ground, not speaking from experience or anything. That was a journey, Alexander, and I thank you for giving me the blessed opportunity to read Love that. It. Yes. So it, it will be a very comfortable night for Saturday night's game, followed by a muggy day game on Sunday, Saturday night, a 540 Central Time start. Clear skies, 80 degrees, wind, not a factor. Comfortable is an understatement. And then transition to Sunday, a 12.40 p.m. Central Time start, partly to mostly cloudy, 79 degrees, a chance for showers and thunderstorms, more humid as befitting Cincinnati in August, but the wind still not a factor. The Cubs will then hop on a plane and fly to our nation's capital for a three-game series in Washington, D.C. The series vibes, there's no story to go with this one, acceptably, acceptably unhot. For the mid-Atlantic in August, rain chances on Monday and Tuesday, but the Cubs are rewarded for any potential difficulties with two clear and spectacular day games to follow, one of which will be in Baltimore. Yeah. So Monday night, a 6.05 central time start, mostly cloudy, 72 degrees, muggy, a coin flip chance for a thunderstorm with the wind again, not a factor. Tuesday night, also a 6.05 central time start, partly cloudy, 72 degrees with another coin flip chance for a thunderstorm and the wind in from center field at five to 10 miles per hour. The day game conclusion of the series in Washington, D.C., 12.05 Central Time, mostly sunny, 76 degrees, comfortably warm with a light wind in from left field. And then the Cubs, I assume, will hop on a, a short range transport, head over to Baltimore for a makeup game for a 2.05 Central Time start on Thursday. And it will again be mostly sunny, 79 degrees, comfortably warm with a light wind out to center field. So as always, that is the weather provided to us very graciously and some uh, some interesting uh some interesting intro also provided to yeah. us graciously by at Alexander Hall of at Cubs weather. Be sure to follow him. Be sure to follow them. If you do not already for all the weather news regarding the Cubs in Chicago, you could possibly need. And as always, we appreciate Alexander taking the time to provide these weather reports and uh, maybe getting out some past trauma as well um, as he uh, provides the weather to our show on a regular basis. Yeah, Hopefully not autobiographical. You. I was saying. <laughs> Uh, fun though, you know, I, I like a little bit of flair. Let's put it yeah. that way. Uh, tough stretch though, baseball here for the Cubs. 20 games, as I said, in 19 days after this three city road trip, they come home for the old Randall brutal homestand. Three games with the Brewers, five with the St. Louis Cardinals, including a doubleheader on Tuesday, the 23rd. Then the games continue three in Milwaukee, three in Toronto. So this is a, you talk about the dog days of summer Cubs very much in the middle of it over the next two and a half weeks. I'm tired of being persecuted like this. I'm tired of these, these five games against St. Louis, three games against Milwaukee homestands. I, I will not be, I will not be treated like this by the schedule makers. It's a tough stretch. Thursday this week should have been an off day. It's a makeup for that June 8 rainout in Baltimore. And that's always tough, too. And, you know, you're a Cubs team. You think you got a day off coming up here. And it just makes this stretch of baseball that much more grueling. I mean, that really got at the Cubs a couple of years ago where they just sort of ran out of gas in August and September, having to make up a lot of games 
we got a little bit of a taste of it here this week as well. We all remember that series in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, in the late summer of that year where the weather out just did not cooperate and it resulted in rainouts and doubleheaders. And I, I firmly believe that the extent to which that series was poorly handled in 2018 contributed to that team just running out of everything down the stretch. Games were canceled later than they should have been. They were not made up in, in it. I, I just remember being seeing red that entire yeah. series and how that was handled. Well, I will be thinking and about the nationals. Week. Yeah. Uh, we'll be thinking about you though. Next week though, Randall Brewers Cardinals long home stand at Wrigley. That's the second time this year we've had a taste of that and maybe a sign of things to come moving forward as uh, these baseball schedules are going to be tweaked. Moving forward, we'll have a lot of time to talk about that on future podcasts. Speaking of the future, Randall, get us a look at two pitching prospects, and then I want to come back and talk about this big story today, Fernando Tatis Jr. and a huge suspension that's sort of shaken up the NL. Randall, minor leagues Cubs, who do you got? Well, it's time for Prospect Corner, our second most popular segment after the weather report. I have a pair of right-handed starting pitchers tonight, both of whom have pitched at both Myrtle Beach and South Bend this season. We start with Luis Devers, who is a 22-year-old uh, out of the Dominican Republic. He was signed as an international free agent in 2017 between uh, Myrtle Beach and South Bend this year. He has a 193 ERA and 98 innings pitched. He has appeared in 22 games, 18 of which were starts. 99 strikeouts to 20 walks in that span. He has a mid-90s fastball, but interestingly, he likes to work backwards. He prefers his changeup and his curveball, both of which are average to above average, and he goes to the fastball kind of as his third pitch, and that's very interesting. Most guys uh, do not work backward towards the fastball. And then we have right-handed pitcher Porter Hodge. He is 21 years old. He's a 13th-round pick in 2019. He has also pitched, as I said, at Myrtle Beach and South Bend this year. 88 and a thirds innings pitched, uh, 21 games, all starts. He has a 285 ERA in those innings. Uh, the walks are a little higher than you'd like to see. 119 strikeouts to 45 walks in those innings. That's a 12.1 strikeouts per nine, but a 4.6 walks per nine. You'd like to see that come down a little bit. He has, again, just like Luis Devers does, a complete repertoire. He has a fastball that sits in the mid-90s comfortably, a slider that he throws in the mid-80s, and a curveball as well. Two guys who are kind of under the radar, uh, but both of whom have moved up a level this year. They both started the season at Myrtle Beach. They have both since been promoted to South Bend and two guys who are both pitching very well for those South Bend Cubs, which, by the way, is only a two-hour drive from the Chicago area. If you have the opportunity, get out there to Four Winds Field this year. Wonderful place. Plenty of parking, I should say. Um, it's a great place to watch a minor league ball game, and there are some exciting players on that team, a lot of whom are in the starting rotation. And one note I do want to make about uh, – the, the players that I typically bring up on Prospect Horner, I understand, we understand, you understand that not all these are necessarily prospects. They might not show up on your top 10, top 50 lists, but if you are going to build a successful minor league system, you don't just need your top prospects to perform. You need guys who are under the radar also performing well, because if they perform well enough, they move up those prospect licks, they become guys that you start getting expectations for, or they become depth from which you can trade for major league pieces without having to touch necessarily your blue chip prospects. Any player who is performing well in the minor leagues over 
a big enough sample to be statistically significant is good to know and is good to have because that is, again, could potentially become a contributor or could potentially become a decent trade piece. So we here at Prospect Corner, me, basically, I hear at Prospect Corner, it's not just about the prospects. It's the guys flying under the radar, doing great things for their minor league team and performing well for their organization to help that organization out someday in some capacity. Yeah. It's all part of the big picture here, and the farm is interesting right now. Uh, how about Marquee Sports Network, too, doing something, right? Actually putting some effort into a product on their TV channel. Tonight, as we're recording this, I get they, they guess they have this wraparound show where they're jumping from one minor league team to the other, to the other, to the other, and some breaking news coming on that show here. Jim Callis, longtime uh, baseball writer, is focused on prospects. He revealed that Pete Crow Armstrong, is going to be the number one Cubs minor leaguer, the number one prospect when the next MLB pipeline list drops here in the next couple of days. So some big news breaking there, and the Cubs got a new number one, a guy they got for Javi a year ago. Yeah, and uh, Jim Callis, a longtime Baseball America guy, moved over to MLB. He lives, I think his kids went to like New Trier, lives up here. Um, so always around the Cubs. But I and I agree with you. I want, but one thing I want to do, I want to go back for. I, I do want to say before we do go into that a little bit, I think that Randall does need a jingle for his prospect corner. And if any of oh. our listeners want to send in a jingle for Randall's prospect corner, uh, I think that is something as he rolls his eyes, that would be nice. Uh, but I agree with you with Marquis. I think this is a phenomenal thing. I actually have it on now. I got it muted, but this minor league whip around show, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm watching, you know, South Bend's up eight to four. Randall's doing their props. It's nice to see all the different games. I, you know, maybe it won't work every day because the Cubs are obviously playing, but on a day where there's an off day, like this is a cool thing. This is absolutely the kind of thing that Marquis needs to be doing more of. I've said as much, it's unequivocally the kind of programming that the Cubs flagship in-house television network should be doing more of the show's called road to Wrigley it is on right now. It started at 7 PM tonight. We sit here recording on Friday night, the 12th. It is hosted as we said by Jim Callis, longtime minor league writer, respected prospect evaluator, as well as Lance Brozdowski, a, a great data guy, uh, the spin rate launch angle, the, all the stats you could possibly need as to what makes a player great and Elise Meneker. And as Jeremy said, they've just got this quad box on the screen and they're they're jumping around from one minor league game to the other, giving you updates, showing you who's performing. This is the kind of thing that I understand why Marquis couldn't necessarily start off with a program like this. There, of course, were no minor leagues in the 2020 season, but I don't know how it's taken this long for them to yeah. to parlay that access into a program like this. And, you know, we, we are critical of Marquis quite a bit on these airwaves. This is the kind of thing that they should be doing more of because it's, it's fantastic. And the Cubs farm system's going off tonight having a pretty solid night. So it's it's like every game they flip to somebody's doing something. Well, the Cubs are doing playing pretty well. Well, it, it uh, goes without saying, so I'll say it anyway. There's so much programming that they could be doing just a little bit of effort, a little bit of energy being put towards it, step in the right direction. And if you have marquee, it would be fun to be sort of seeing what's going on at the different minor league sites here tonight. I'm getting away from the Cubs though here, a lot happening across major league baseball since the last time we had one of these pods, but big news breaking just as we were getting started tonight, Fernando Tatis Jr handed down an 80-game suspension for violating uh, performance-enhancing drug policy across Major League Baseball. What this means, he's done for this year. That includes the postseason, and he's out until May of next year. This is huge. And I, I don't know, I was speechless when, Jeremy, you sent over the text and said, wow, they got Tatis. This is crazy. Yeah, 
you know, uh, when you when you test positive, I actually think it was Randall who's some of the test, but I did say that he he's not going to be eligible for the playoffs. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, he uh, when you test positive, you're not eligible for the playoffs. And then there's only 50 games left this year, so that's basically 30 games into next year. So for a team that's 16 games behind 500, or excuse me, behind the Dodgers, I meant to say, it, it's kind of crazy that this is kind of their year, and they're they got Soto, but nothing it's not all clicking for them so it'll be interesting to see how they can move forward with this yeah another another news break that i had to do a triple take on yeah make sure i had the player right make sure i had the the news and the punishment right it's wild and tatis's statement on on his own behalf as this was announced is that he took a a close close to ball a banned substance um, to treat ringworm, which contrary to the name, it's not a worm. It's a, a skin condition that can come about from uh, touching warm, warm, moist surfaces that have not been disinfected properly, like the kind you would find in a locker room or in a yeah. gym. Um, so, you know, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, given that he's probably in a lot of places like this, especially minor league clubhouses or training complex clubhouses that may be are not our breeding grounds for things like this. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, you are a major league ball player. It's your responsibility to know what you're taking. I just don't understand how, if that is the case, if his story does check out, I don't understand how you can take a substance that has a, a band element to it. I don't understand how you don't consult with the team nutritionist or the team physician and keep this from happening. And as this broke, as this broke Padres GM, AJ Preller, uh, had some comments that they're they're not terribly happy with Tatis and the lack of maturity doing things like hurting himself riding a motorcycle and now this and this is this is huge this is one of the game's brightest brightest players brightest stars biggest names and he's out of commission for until at least May of next year not eligible for the World Baseball Classic either um where he probably would have played for team DR had he not had this not happened. And it's just disappointing that again, one of the game's brightest stars allows this to happen and that this is the, this is the outcome. It's completely unacceptable, right? I mean, and I love that the Padres management is outspoken because his excuse is horseshit, right? You knew what you were taking, man, and you got busted for it. And how do you allow this to happen? I think is the question here. The Padres went for it at the trade deadline. They went out and they got the best player that was available, maybe the best player in Major League Baseball right now. They went out and with Milwaukee and got one of the best relief pitchers. That's a move that you make when you're trying to close down those late innings, particularly in playoff games, where having that one or two extra arm in your bullpen completely changes the dynamic of a series. The team went for it. And now their star player, the face of the franchise, is out? That's bad. That's really, really bad for San Diego. I kind of want them to win it now in spite of him, like win it without him and be able to say, look, we still put, they've got a very good team in San Diego. I know Jeremy, there's 16 games behind the Dodgers who are like 40 games over 500, but San Diego in a short playoff series, nobody's going to want to face them. That team's going to be very good in October, even without Tatis, but what a what an awful thing to give him that huge contract. They put all this trust in him. And then he's dicking around here on the side. You can't let that happen. I think this is on the player. Yeah, it's crazy. It's as you mentioned, they give him that huge contract. And I agree with you. You know, San Diego is obviously a good team. That anybody, it's going to be a tough fight. Whoever they play, even if they play the Dodgers, that's going to be a fantastic series. Um, but you know, and this kind of, you know, it's going to 
besmirch his career, I guess, put a, a stigma on it. Like, you know, we talk about the differences between maybe in the past with the hall of fame players, guys who did what they did in a certain era, but you know, nowadays this, there's a penalty for this. And we've seen the guys like Manny Ramirez, the guys like, you know, even a rod or uh, Rafael Palmero or, or the certain guys that Robinson Cano who have Nelson been, Cruz have been knocked for this. And it really, it's kind of been a stigma uh, on them. And this is going to be Fernando Tatis's kind of legacy too. Now he's going to always be a guy that he got busted for PEDs in the major leagues. He missed 80 games. He missed, he's going to miss the playoffs. He's going to miss, you know, in parts of next year's uh, world baseball classic, which I didn't even realize I forgot. I wasn't thinking about, but that, that's a great point by Randall. And so this is going to be part of his career now. And, and I don't know, like we hope he's a hall of fame player just from watching him. And that's going to be something that he's going to have to deal with. And, the guy who's your face of your franchise, uh, that's yeah. San Diego. They give him the, as you said, the three hundred million dollar contract more, and uh, you know they have a child too. But still, Tatis is the face. He's in commercials. I see him all the time. Um, it's 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 tough, and uh, he already he already screwed up this offseason, right, with his hand injury, and now it's to deal this so that he's not going to play at all this year. That's that's nuts. Yeah, you know, if, if I'm a if I'm a major league ball player in a Dairy Queen commercial. Bryce Harper, Tim Anderson, uh, Cody Bellinger, and now Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, I don't know that I'd appear in any more commercials. Uh, Harper, the wrist injury after being hit by a pitch. Anderson is hurt. Is he out for the season? Tim, uh, four to six weeks. Okay, so, so I, he's out for he a might, good deal he, of the rest yeah, of the he season. Yeah, he come back at the end and, of the year possibly. And ostensibly had some uh, some personal things going on off the field. Uh, Cody Bellinger is just not particularly good anymore. And Fernando Tatis Jr., we know – we've been reading off his list of issues for the last five minutes. Uh, I don't know that I'd appear in any future Dairy Queen commercials. seems like it's the kiss of death. Um, Ronan, you mentioned Fernando Tatis Jr. How do you not know what you're taking? The last time I heard you say that with such, uh, such veracity in your voice was describing our high school mascot, uh, the venerable Tommy, the Titan <laughs> of Glenbrook South, Tommy, the Titan, a very muscular caricature of a, of a, a, a Greek Titan. Uh, you once intoned Tommy the Titan perhaps did not know what he was taking. So uh, I haven't heard you say that uh, with that much uh, that much energy in your voice in a good uh, 20 years. So we're, we're really bringing back everything old is new again. Yeah. And I would point out that I would feel like 90%, maybe higher of all these guys that get busted. It's either like, I didn't know what I was taking or it wasn't something I inadvertent took or they all have the same excuse every single yeah. time. Yeah. So it's like we hear that every time. It's it's unacceptable. Right. Like, like, I, I don't believe it. And I, he has to say it sort of from a PR standpoint. And you've got to do that. And now the process is going to play itself out. But, you know, in reality, when you're entrusted with the contract that the Padres gave him and when you're in the situation that they're in there, that's unacceptable for you to not know or to not have multiple people on your team, your nutrition staff, your medical staff that's vetting all of this. That's why it's bullshit. Of course, there's, they, they knew exactly what they were doing. He thought he was going to get away with it, and he didn't. And now, yeah, it's going to hang over his head for the rest of his career. And, man, it puts the Padres in a tough spot this year. So, uh, boy, that's going to be compelling to watch what happens in the NL West and once the Padres get into the playoffs. And this could be something. And I, I look at me speculating and coming up with storylines. This could kind of bring together the Padres team as well, right? Where, okay, look, your, your key player is gone. What are we? Are, do, are we relying strictly on this guy or the rest of the all-stars that are in that clubhouse ready to go out and win a championship in spite of him? 
it could be a motivating thing for that team, especially with the way the front office came out with the quotes they had today. I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres rally around this, and it's going to be something to watch the next month and a half. Yeah, and the thing is that the Padres found out today. Like, they found out this morning. Man. So those A.J. Preller quotes, those are pretty fresh. I mean, because from what I what I, I see is that, and I've heard and read, that there's a whole appeals process, but that that takes place only with the player. The team's not notified of it. So the player, his agent, whatever, they're going through this process. They only find out at the end of all of that when the suspension is handed down. And so they found that out today, this morning. So I can imagine AJ Preller. It's a good thing they got Juan Soto because he was operating under this belief that Tatis is coming back. And they went out and they still did it. And I imagine AJ Preller, when he said those things, they were not, he had been, he'd been stewing on it for a few hours because those were probably real fresh comments. It's going to be something to, to be monitoring here over the next few weeks getting close playoffs about six weeks or so out from postseason ball uh, anything else you guys want to bring up here on the majors anything other storylines players that you feel is worth discussing i got one other thing to add I, I, nothing specific i i i do want to say I, I still think that last night was pretty awesome and i i yeah. even if they're not going to come back next year i think at some point i know over time like too many games in iowa will be a thing but i i love i like watching it so i think it's fun yeah, 100% agree with that, Jeremy. And I'm just very excited about the potential sites over the next few years, both in the United States and internationally is going to be very cool. Um, one thing I did want to talk about real quickly with you guys here is I had an interesting trip last week, was in California for a week or so, started in LA, ended up in San Francisco. But to tie into this show, last Wednesday, I went to a Major League Baseball game in San Francisco. Dodgers, Giants, it was an awesome night. 35,000 people out at Oracle Park there in San Francisco. And I have been to Giants, Dodgers in the past. Of course, dozens and dozens of Cubs-Cardinals games. I've also attended Yankees-Red Sox at Fenway Park. So I feel like I've seen the big three rivalries in baseball. I love Cubs-Cardinals, number one. That's always going to be number one to me. I just want to say Dodgers-Giants is very cool, and it is a very real rivalry. And as a baseball fan at that ball game, with no real vested interest in who won or who lost, I just enjoyed the game. Dodgers won three to nothing. Uh, it was the baseball fan in me was going, man, these teams have been playing each other since 1890. And when they started playing each other and hating each other, they were in the opposite side of the country. And these teams moving to California and bringing baseball west – it's there's just so much significance to that. And obviously they got a beautiful ballpark in San Francisco. So it's just fun, you know, as a baseball fan on a Wednesday night in a beautiful city like San Francisco to take in an old rivalry game and just enjoy it. And what added to it, it was the day after Vin Scully passed. So even though we were at the Giants ballpark all night, there were tributes, uh, videos played before the game, a moment of silence, all of that. And as again, a baseball fan, I felt like I was seeing a bit of history there. I was in San Francisco when Vin Scully had passed for the first game then between the Giants and the Dodgers. And it was an emotional night with that regards in the ballpark. Yeah. I don't want to say you were in the, the right place at the right time, but you were in a, you were in the, the correct location to kind of be right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. So that had to be, I'm sure uh, quite an experience, a seeing a game at the, the wonderful ballpark on the Bay. And then being there on a night where one of the teams was mourning the loss of a, a broadcast legend. So I'm sure that had to be, uh, quite an experience. I had the pleasure and honor of introducing someone who had never been to Wrigley to Wrigley Field cool. this week. The husband of a, a longtime friend of mine um, was seeing Wrigley for the first time. And it, it's cool to be able to say, 
You know, there's the he he didn't know that the scoreboard was manually operated. He asked, so there are people inside of there who change the numbers. They don't um, let them out. Yeah, they don't let him out. That's right. Um, but it, it's cool to be able to show someone Wrigley, even Wrigley that's been uh that's been maybe built up a little bit around it. And it, it's nice to be able to put a little bit of personal spin on that, explain what new elements of the neighborhood I'm good with, which ones I'm not, explain that the hotel uh outside the ballpark has actually changed the sunsets inside the ballpark at certain times of year. It's cool to be able to yeah. show someone a somewhere that you've been many times and they have not. And especially so when it's someplace like Wrigley, where the, the view is unparalleled, the colors are unparalleled. It, it's cool to be able to do that. Baseball and baseball stadiums, it, for the most part, it's a wonderful thing and they are wonderful places. And it's cool to be in them. It's cool to introduce them to new people. Sometimes baseball is okay. Mm. That a lot of times baseball's okay. I, I enjoy. I, I I did as well. I went to Wrigley this past uh, you know on Friday night, and uh, I went with uh, my cousin from out of town, from Ohio, and my uncle and my aunt who had never been to Wrigley. And it was it's a cool experience just to show people, as Randall was saying. And I, I agree with you, Ronan. I would think going to a Dodgers Giants game, yeah. uh, as a non fan. Or to not as a non-fan, but as a non, you know, no vested interest, impartial fan, I should say. That you're you're correct. Um, that would be a fun experience. You know, you know, things get a little hectic at those Dodgers Giants games. So oh, and they you know, got there. Yeah, they got it was it. great. Uh, there were a lot of Dodgers fans in our section, and I was sitting there with a Giants season ticket holder, uh, and it, it was fun and friendly banter, sort of back and forth, not unlike what you'd see at at Cubs Cardinals. Now I know there's a lot of awful videos out there of fights and brawls and things that have happened between Giants and Dodgers fans. Fortunately, I was able to avoid that. Something I did want to compliment both City on, and it was refreshing as somebody who lives here in Denver. When I was in Los Angeles earlier in the week, it was a non-game day. Team was on the road. The number of Dodgers jerseys and hats just sort of walking around the city or out at restaurants and things like that. Very, very cool. Same thing in San Francisco. Nowhere near the ballpark, just sort of walking through the city, you see a bunch of people wearing Giants gear walking down the street. I'm always struck by that when I come back to Chicago, that it's the middle of December and I'm walking down Michigan Avenue or something and people are wearing Cubs hats and stuff like that. You, you don't get a ton of that with the Rockies here in Denver. If you're at Coors Field on game day, yeah, people are wearing jerseys. But if it's a random Tuesday in November, you don't see a lot of Rockies apparel walking around the city. It was all over the place in San Francisco and LA. That's a baseball city, both of those places. Good fan bases, long-term cross-country fan bases, but you like seeing that. And it's something, frankly, you don't get a lot of here in the Mile High City. Yeah, I, you know, you always see uh, fans around Chicago. I, I With visiting teams too, I always like to see where I live, it's kind of a hotel. I always see well, the White Sox are town, Cubs are town. I see fans all the time in clothes, visiting teams, whatever. And I, I always think it's pretty cool. Just be like, oh, yeah. you know, Cardinals are in town or oh, the Tigers are in town or the Royals. So it's pretty neat. Baseball season is only April to October, but uh, saying go Cubs to random passersby yeah. wearing Cubs gear season is year round. And it happens weekly for me here in Denver, just walking down the street with a Cubs hat on. Lots of Cubs fans out here, uh, but cool to see that in both LA and San Francisco. And uh, Randall, we got to get you to both of those cities. One, I need to watch you climbing up and down those hills. Chinatown and San Francisco, some of the steepest parts of the city. I want to see Randall there. And then Los Angeles. You never see a place like Los Angeles. Let's just sort of drop Randall in the middle of it and see how he fares for a day. I got plenty of places I'd like to drop you I'm and sure. see how you'd fare for a day. <laughs> I was going to ask, did you see Lucille? When I you did were in see San Lucille. Francisco. I've got a video of Lucille uh, very close because we, we had very good seats down the third base line and Lucille came out in front of us. Lucille, great mascot. 
Yeah, great dance moves. Uh, yeah, Lucia, one of the great MLB mascots. I was a little disappointed in that the Dodgers were on the road when I was in Los Angeles. I did drive over to the ballpark, had a couple of minutes. I was under the impression that uh, between like nine and five, you can get into the top row basically of Dodger Stadium, which is where the team store is. And you can actually look over into the seating bowl. I was disappointed when I got to the actual ballpark, they were having a private event. So that viewing deck area up at the top, unfortunately was not open. Still got to drive around sort of the area around. I know you've seen the aerial shots of it and I'm not knocking Dodger Stadium. I can't wait to go to a game there. I look forward to it. I cannot think of the opposite of Wrigley Field more than Dodger Stadium. It's just, it's surrounded by parking lots, parking lots in every single direction, uh, and then beautiful parks next to those parking lots. But it's, it's just so bizarre. And it's the, the opposite of what Wrigley Field is and what the game day experience is at Wrigley. I Might imagine be fun when, to see it. when yeah. you see it, you just see all the parking lots. And it's crazy. I'd love to be out there. I've never been to Dodger Stadium. I've driven past it kind of one time and shoved that for being. But uh, that's definitely on my uh, baseball bucket list to get out there yeah. and get to a Dodgers game. And the scale of it, too, the size of the park. And then San Francisco, right in the middle of a downtown, right on the water there. Beautiful for different reasons. So good stuff there, Randall. One of these years, we're going to take that road trip up the coast. We're going to go on those cliffs out over there, looking over the ocean. And we'll see some baseball in both of those cities in some nice-looking ballparks. And Randall. Do not sleep on the donuts in California. It's something sleep that they on, are doing it I, right. I sleep on no donuts. Uh, San Francisco, famous for the sourdough bread. I believe that uh, the whole state would be known for its donuts. I absolutely believe that. It's truly incredible. And uh, about every city that I stopped in going up the coast, it was, all right, where's the donut shop? Let's add a little something into the mix here. So it was good stuff. Uh, that's it, though. No Cubs of War number 79, so we'll skip that. We will be back uh, at some point here over the next week or so. Lots more to get into and uh, a lot to be excited about, though. I think with the Cubs right now, we're hearing good things from the front office about the future of the organization and a new top 10 minor league prospect list is coming soon and it appears the Cubs have a new number one in Pete Pro Armstrong. So we'll get into all that. Uh, for Jeremy and Randall, this is Ronan. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We'll see you next time.